Seed Health Podcast. Together, we're going to learn to cultivate health and promote more connectivity and awareness throughout our community. Um, we'll learn about beautiful, health-inspiring events, peoples, projects, and organizations. Today, I'm here with Daniel Leibowitz, who is a therapist, the co-director of the Intimacy Institute. Um, he specializes in male sexual health and functioning and in couples therapy. Welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. It's good to be here too. Full disclosure, Daniel and I are good friends um, in life, and I'm really excited to to get to connect in this way. Um, and so, thank you for taking the time out to to join me today. And thank you all, anyone who's listening to this now, for taking the time to to join us here and and listen and and learn a little bit. Um, so. I'll start with the same question that I always start with, and maybe you can tell me, what does health mean to you? It's a great question. So for me, health is the ability to wake up feeling good and think about what you would want to accomplish in the day or accomplish as a goal in general and not feel held back by anything. I think one of the things that happens oftentimes is we focus on health being the absence of something rather than the ability to do something. And so I perceive health as sort of a general state of being that really allows you to look at the world and not feel held back, to feel it's expansive and filled with possibility to pursue whatever you want to pursue in a way that feels positive. Mm. That, That sounds like a mindset but I, I can, you know, obviously there's a physical element to being able to step up to that mindset. Um, and, and I don't always follow this question. I'm curious how, how, you, how do you think about reaching that, that state of health? On a physical level? On any level. I think you have to have a comprehensive sense of what you're working towards and break it down into different categories. Mm. So, for example, how I live my life, I have... A physical way of training myself, of developing myself, of growing and constantly advancing what I'm working with. And then I have a mental and emotional side as well, and then a spiritual side. And looking at all those three pieces, they end up interweaving very comprehensively. But I have to make sure I'm tending each one as well. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, on the physical level, I've been an athlete and an outdoorsman for many years um, and was a climber for a long time, backpacker, mountaineer, and recently I've been getting much more into strength training and endurance training. Uh, I've been a martial artist for most of my life, and that is another way of training the little bit of all those three categories that I mentioned with regards to Mm -hmm. health, Um, but the physical piece has been huge in terms of cultivating strength, endurance, and the capacity to move your body in a very specific way. Okay. Okay. And how do you keep track of it all? Structure has been something that has played a huge part in how I've been able to handle more and more with regards to 
further developing my health. I have a pretty busy life. I have a full practice and I have a wife. I have two kids and plenty of friends and all sorts of things that I could easily spend lots of time interacting with and never get a chance to focus on me. And so what I think of is, am I making sure that I'm cultivating myself to be present and engaged with those people I care about? Uh-huh. So what I end up doing is I make sure that, for example, today, I see a couple clients in the morning after waking up and taking care of the kids and getting to interact with my wife, and then have a couple clients, and then I'll make sure I break my day up pretty much every single day of the week, where I'll then go and get to martial arts, or then I'll get to uh, strength and endurance training. And that breaks up my day, but it also makes sure that in the middle of the day, I don't feel like I've just sacrificed the entire day to focusing on other people. I get a chance to take care of my own needs. Nice. And taking care of your own needs, I guess, allows you to be able to help other people and support other people. Absolutely. Um, I have a a saying where I talk about you have to make sure you're tending to your own roots and growing your own roots in order for your branches and leaves to be able to help others. Mm, I like that. Nice. So, um, so you're, you're a therapist and you're a sex therapist Mm -hmm. at the intimacy Institute. So what exactly, what exactly does that mean? So sex therapy, the field of sex therapy, is basically talk therapy that focuses on topics related to sex and sexuality. Uh, At the Intimacy Institute, we work with individuals, we work with couples, we train practitioners, so other therapists Mm -hmm. as well, Um, and uh, we also do public uh, speeches and talks, and so... That's sort of what the Intimacy Institute does, specifically with regards to sex therapy. It's conversations around what isn't working in your sex life and developing a vision of what you're wanting to create for a healthy, positive interaction with your sexuality. And whether that's alone, whether that's with a partner, whatever context you're wanting to cultivate that, we want to be making sure we're helping guide you along the way of that. Okay. And how does somebody know that, that they're getting what they want or, or don't want? You know, how, is that ever an issue that, you know, someone coming in or is it usually sort of a clear sense of like things aren't working in this way or that way? So some things are very clear cut and straightforward. So, for example, I, I work a lot with men. As you mentioned, I, I focus Uh, quite a bit of my practice on male sexual functioning. So men struggling with premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction, sometimes sometimes, uh, struggle to orgasm as well. So that's Mm -hmm. delayed ejaculation. Any one of those are pretty straightforward situations indicating this isn't how I want a sexual situation to be going. Therefore, I want help with this. Other times, especially in relationships, it's much more nuanced because what is an appropriate amount of sex is entirely subjective. And what I always like to say is I have met plenty of people who feel like if they're not having sex every day, it's not frequent enough. And I've had couples where they hadn't had sex in 10 years. And so it's a really wide range around what feels healthy, what feels appropriate. And so it's much more individually defined 
when it comes to interpersonal dynamics related to sex. Okay. So the so some things are very cut and dry and other things are a little bit more unclear and ultimately based off of a client's need or desire to create a change within themselves around what they're experiencing and our goal is to help them come more into line with that. Okay. So I'm imagining that well, I mean sex is almost inherently taboo and really really private. Uh it, I mean, it, it must take a certain level of, I want to say almost like bravery to, to actually take that first step to to give you guys a call, to give you a call. Like how, I mean, how do you, do you find that plays into the experience or? Yeah. So it's always interesting to watch how uncomfortable people are in the first five minutes <laughs> because it's not something we talk about at the dinner table. It's mm-hmm. not something we talk about in public or usually not with close friends even. And so what ends up happening is people come in with this idea of how am I possibly going to tell a stranger who I just met you know, five moments ago these intimate details about my life. Right. The difference is that as a sex therapist, I'm used to having conversations about all different topics Mm -hmm. related to sexuality. And so because I'm asking the same question regardless, so I ask questions the same way I would asking ordinary everyday questions. It ends up being much more comfortable because after a while it just becomes another conversation. Uh And so very quickly, the difference between what did you eat for breakfast this morning and, you know, tell me about what masturbation looks like for you. Mm -hmm is the same question both in terms of the experience for the client as well as for the sex therapist. So there's an element of your attitude and, and how you approach it. And I mean, I, I, I experienced a similar thing, I guess, you know, in my own practice with asking people about their poop or their period and, you know, getting into those, those details that they probably don't share at the dinner table either. Um, and so there, I guess I can understand that better. Yeah, and I think it's also just an interesting piece because human beings have a a strong desire to connect with other people, and frankly, taboo things are only based off of this sort of vague societal concept rather than our innate desire to not talk about something. Mm -hmm. We want to talk about these things. And so when people are given permission to start talking about it, it's amazing to see how quickly people start opening up more and more and they start going, Oh, I forgot to mention this piece, but I'm going to include that because I'm getting more comfortable with just the idea that vulnerability is a positive thing. Nice. That's, that's really great. That's, I mean, that alone, I imagine is, is powerful people who, you know, they're struggling with something so core, so associated with, you know, self-esteem on a certain level, virility, um, uh, fertility these are these are really core things and you know just having the opportunity to to not be alone in that I mean I see that too in the clinic it's amazing that alone creates a shift like oh wow I'm going through this hard thing I'm having this uncomfortable experience and I'm not alone anymore 
Absolutely. And, and especially with men, um, I would say w- one of the things that's always interesting to notice is how much more women talk about their issues with mm-hmm. other women than men do. And men will rarely bring up any personal struggles they're having. And it is generally pretty shocking if they have brought up any sexual struggle that they're dealing with to other friends before they end up coming into the therapy office. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, to not be alone and to start hearing that, oh, there's an entire specialty for this and that you've developed a protocol for working with premature ejaculation because so many men struggle with it ends up feeling like it's not just me. I'm not alone. And maybe there's a path out of this. Uh Uh-huh. And what ends up happening is actually you end up getting a lot more out of the experience than just resolving the sexual functioning issue, because that's more oftentimes a symptom than the actual root cause, which is how do I get comfortable with my sexuality? How do I learn to speak up about what I like and what I don't like? How do I recognize where I have power and influence in a situation to slow things down sometimes? to adjust the pace, to say, hey, you know, the way that we're going about this right now in terms of a sexual situation is great, but I really want to just hang out for a moment. Let's just Mm -hmm. chill. Yeah. And in that ability to learn how to advocate for yourself and feel like it's not a train that's moving two steps faster than you can actually catch it each time, you end up recognizing that sex has a totally different possibility around how you interact with it. Right. And well, and as a culture, we, you know, because sex is taboo as kids, as teenagers, you know, we, we learn about sex from, from what porn. I mean, even, even if our parents have the talk, so to speak with us, or we have a health class at school, no one's talking about how to, have sex in a way that works for you and that that might be different from how it works for other people and so we all get these images of of what quote-unquote good sex should look like or shouldn't look like and um and so i mean that's that's almost the 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 core root cause of of i'm sure a lot of these issues the way we talk about that is with regards to pleasure versus performance mindset around sex. Mm. And when you're having pleasure-oriented sex, it looks so much more relaxed and comfortable as opposed to the performance mindset. Right. The performance mindset around sex is that there's a goal. Uh-huh. There's an expectation. Right. The two parties or however many parties are interacting have an expectation and assumption around what they're supposed to do and what the other person's supposed right. to do. And so that comparison is oftentimes crippling and overwhelming in terms of the ability to feel like you're getting what you really want out of the experience. You're running through a script instead. And so that mindset is perpetuated in movies that you watch, in porn, in, you know, popular culture across the board where each step of the way is already dictated how it's supposed to look. Right. And... There's actually a great TED Talk on this, uh, which covers this concept uh, in, in a really comprehensive and, and humorous way, which is by Al Vernaccio. And he's a sex educator. 
And the title of the TED Talk is Sex Needs a New Metaphor. Okay. What he does is he compares sex to pizza. (laughs) And the idea being everybody likes pizza. So you have a conversation about, hey, you want to order pizza tonight? Uh What kind of pizza do you think you want? You know, I don't know if I feel like black olives, but I could really dig some pineapple. How do you feel about pineapple? Yeah, I could have a slice of pineapple. Uh, but you know, I also want to make sure that we get some of those red paper pepper flakes. Oh yeah. We got to include those. And it becomes a collaborative conversation Uh that really drastically changes the way people approach having sex. Right. And most people are so uncomfortable with the idea of sex that it's easier to have sex than it is to talk about it. Uh huh. Well, and, and with like the pizza analogy, the goal of eating pizza is not to eat the last bite right Right. it's it's not you have to eat three and a half pieces and you have to eat it in two and a half minutes right instead it's how are you going to enjoy this pizza that's in front of you well and it's the whole i mean our it's the whole journey versus destination um sort of philosophy yeah and it's you know and we're trained i think culturally to focus on the destination and we have to constantly remind ourselves it's about the journey. It's about the journey. And, and you know, that I guess applies to sex as well. And absolutely. Um, wow. I like, I'll put, I'll put a link to that, to that Ted talk in the show notes. Um, that's, I really, you know, I, I appreciate that analogy and, and it's just nice also to, you know, be bringing this topic out into the open and, um, normalizing talking about it and, and modeling it, I guess in a certain way, you know, Absolutely. Um, so yeah, thinking about being comfortable with talking to your partner about, oh, I don't like this. I do like that. Or let's do things this way. Or this makes me uncomfortable actually. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the, the idea of suffering and silence with regards to sex is something that is really impactful on a relationship because the idea is you're saying this one of the main reasons why we're coming together, which is pursuing connection and intimacy, we are going to avoid speaking up about that which we're most thirsty for. Mm. And it's so contradictory to what we want, even though it's what feels insurmountable. It, it feels impossible to say something. to, and And frequently what happens is people end up not being able to really say what they're wanting in a sexual experience with without some level of nervousness and worry. As a result, there's that level of, of edge to their voice, which then leads to defensiveness in their partner and the conversation falls apart rather uh. than sort of looking at it and, and having this collaborative approach of saying, hold on a minute, if we're going to, if we're going to approach this as a team, how are we going to make the most out of this experience? What do you want? What do I want? Right. They're probably complimentary. And if they're not, we'll figure out a way to enjoy elements of both. But let's figure out how we can both get our needs met. How can we both enjoy this as much as possible? Wow. Yeah, and that, um, you know, it's interesting because with two thoughts come up in response to that. One is is in general, like not just around sex, talking about what our needs are in a relationship can be really difficult. Uh, you know, even figuring out what it is that's missing sometimes, you know, things are off, things you don't feel right, you're not getting, and, but what you can't always put your finger on what it is that's, that's going on for you. But, 
Um, and then, and then the other thing that came up for me and is that I think the stereotype, I guess, is around this is, is that the woman is dissatisfied and maybe not getting what she wants. And, and I think the stereotype is probably often incredibly true, but I wonder how often that's also true for the man and the man's also not speaking up. In other words, you know, both partners are, are, are silently suffering, thinking that, that they're doing their partner a favor when in reality they'd both be doing each other a favor by speaking up. It's interesting you mentioned that piece around assuming that women are more dissatisfied than men with their sex life. Uh -huh. I was actually just interviewed for the March edition of Women's Health, which conducted or there was a, a recent research study that said that men were actually more dissatisfied married men were more dissatisfied with their sex life hmm. than their female counterparts wow and so they were sort of looking for some of the different reasons why this might be the case and part of it is this silent suffering piece but the other piece is also that men frequently with sex take on the responsibility of their partner's needs without uh -huh. having any communication around it. And so by trying to guess what your partner wants, but never actually asking them directly or feeling comfortable to say, Hey, rather than bumbling around down here, walk me through exactly what you like. And I'm going to take feedback and I'm going to ask you questions and I want to get to know your body as much as possible. Give me the full tutorial. Right. Rather than saying that, there's just this giant distance in the in terms of what is not said and so i think that's a large part of the dissatisfaction that makes that makes a lot of sense um i mean and i think that it's sort of a well first i want to do you know if there's any sense whether that's changed over the past 10 20 50 years it's definitely i would say I, I I don't know that from a statistical standpoint. Okay. Um, I haven't I haven't followed the research studies to say one way or the other. My impression is that there has been a, a very strong fo focus on women really taking responsibility and advocating for their pleasure, which is an amazing, wonderful thing, and. I would say that same conversation hasn't happened in the same way for men and in part because I think there is a cultural assumption that, well, it's easy for men to get off. It's easy for men to have theirs, if you will. Right. And in that sort of perception that men are always masturbating, men are always, you know, men can always have an orgasm, that that equates to men are accessing pleasure in the ways that they want to uh -huh. or that they know comprehensively how they could. Right. Most men may know what works for them to get to the point of ejaculation, but that's still arriving at the goal, which is ultimately right. going back to that script in where you have a performance around, if I do this and then I do this and then I do that, lo and behold, ejaculation happens. Right. Rather than saying, wait a minute, I don't know if I've ever had a chance to slow down and really explore what's pleasurable for me. Mm -hmm. How do I enjoy sex with myself as much as sex with somebody else? Right. And if you, if you don't ever take that pleasure mindset, then it's again, really hard to enhance pleasure in 
a sexual relationship with somebody. Right. Right. And there, there, you know, there's obviously such thing as a not satisfying orgasm, right. You know, and, and, um, this is, this is interesting. Cause I, I, I feel, I feel compelled in this moment, um, to acknowledge that we are two white males with a lot of privilege, um, talking about something that's sometimes hard to talk about because of that whole dynamic that, um, that socially, you know, men do have more power, um, or tend to have more power in most situations, but there, there is a shadow element to that. And there are certain, you know, expectations and, that harm everyone, you know, it's not just harming men. And, and it, it brings me into this topic of, of intimacy for men and in men and be, both between men and between men and women. Um, cause I, I really do think that, that a lack of intimacy and a lack of comfort with intimacy is a huge part of the, of the power structures and why they exist the way they do. And, um, and a lot of, and a lot of the, yeah, I, so, so I'm, so I want to, I'm curious what you see as, as some of the major obstacles to, to intimacy for men and maybe what, what they can do to, to go beyond that. Well, and I think just to speak to the the gender piece before, um, I, I think it's really essential to understand that gender rights are not a, a competition. That is not a zero-sum game. And whenever we're talking about enhancing male sexual pleasure or working with you know, how do men uh, approach sexuality, it's not at the expense of women. Right. And that the whole idea is that in collaboration, everybody should be benefiting. Right. And modern society and culture doesn't really do men or women any favors in terms of being able to develop a strong, positive sense of personhood because that's not generally in the best interest of society and culture. Mm -hmm. And so there's a reclaiming process that everybody has to be able to support each other to go through right in terms of not even just getting stuck in a binary but to recognize that gender is much more complex and sexual orientation is much more complex and so rather than saying any one group should be silenced or not heard either because we don't agree with that viewpoint or because they've had power or because of any particular reason ends up defeating the purpose of all of us working to advance ourselves and develop ourselves in a really positive, powerful way that creates individual change on, on a community level. I really, really appreciate the way, the way you put that and, and framed that. I think that's really helpful. Yeah. So I just wanted to speak to that piece before I get back to the part around male intimacy and vulnerability and male sexuality and mm -hmm. how that all ties together. Men very much avoid intimacy with other men in 
uh, in general. Uh, I would say there's wonderful examples of where that is not the case. But as a general trend, men are much more comfortable interacting with the other men in activities. You're going to go watch a sports game. You're going to go do something with other men right. as a way of building up that intimacy. And so intimacy around friendship is something that men are very tenuous and uncomfortable with, unfortunately. And so then what happens is the main area that adult men look to get intimacy Mm -hmm. uh, to have their intimacy needs met right. is in relationship in romantic relationship and so then what happens is all of those intimacy needs are put into one basket right and they're oftentimes murky they're oftentimes not very well explored and so then you have this murky unclear set of emotional intimacy needs of physical intimacy needs and sexual intimacy needs and you don't always know how to articulate it. You don't always know what's in the basket. And then you walk up to somebody, whoever you choose to be in relationship with, and you say, here's my basket. I'm expecting you to know exactly what's in here. And I'm expecting you to know exactly how to work with all the different pieces in it. And good luck, because I haven't figured it out. So in terms of a lot of the road bumps that men end up bumping up against and end up coming into my office to work through is recognizing that men oftentimes are very confused about what's going on for them on an emotional or mental level and that they have a lifetime of not developing the tools to be able mm -hmm. to investigate it and therefore work through it. They have a lifetime of distraction and avoidance in terms of getting lost in a project or in terms of spending time with other men doing activities rather than being able to hear about other men's experiences. Right. And so I just think that that's a really core piece to understand around some of the, the male experience. And obviously it's not all men, but many men suffer with this. Right. So then what happens is men hand this basket over and they go, and I also... I'm going to take on the basket of your sexual needs, of your emotional needs, and of your physical needs. And I'm even more clueless what your needs are, but I'm going to be responsible for them, and I, I'm going to just try to guess what's in here. Right, and then I'm going to feel uh, ashamed and guilty when I can't meet those needs that I don't know what they are because we've never explored our baskets together. Right. Well, and, and so going back to the article, one of the other pieces around this dissatisfaction that men are increasingly feel feeling within in sexual relationships and in, in long-term partnerships is we have this mutual agreement of here's my basket, here's your basket, but men oftentimes feel overly responsible or largely responsible for the bedroom. Mm -hmm. What happens in the bedroom is oftentimes um, sort of th there's a, there's a feeling that it's men's responsibility. Well, there's definitely a, a cultural, even if it's one of those whispers of a message that we get in passive ways, there's definitely a cultural message that that's the case. Right. And <clears throat> it ends up being very confusing for men because men are going, okay, we're looking for a modern relationship. We're looking for not having to be the sole breadwinner. We're going to have equality in our relationship. That's a great thing. We're not going to follow traditional gender roles. 
for example, in my own marriage, I do all the cooking and I do all the grocery shopping. Right. My wife handles all the finances and, and we end up having non what would be considered non-traditional gender roles because they're not as relevant today. The problem is that there are areas where those gender roles are still relevant or there's a holdover in the expectation. Right. Maybe it's better stated. Yeah. And as a result, it's this sort of confusing 180 from, mm-hmm. wait a minute, we're, we're focusing on <coughs> Sorry, do you have a cup of water? Yeah. So, to get back to this idea, men end up feeling responsible for what happens in the bedroom, but they're also clueless and lost. And so, that builds pressure and anxiety and uncertainty, and the pressure and anxiety and uncertainty is overwhelming on a physical level, frequently, which ends up creating sexual functioning issues. And on an emotional level, it detracts from men's ability to be really present and engaged in the experience and therefore limits the intimacy sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so it's ultimately about slowing things down and saying, wait a minute, if we're working to establish a connection, we have a totally different focus than if I'm trying to run a show that I think you're going to enjoy. Right. Right. Hey, everybody, that's it for part one of our interview with Daniel Leibowitz from the Intimacy Institute. You can uh, get more information about him at www.intimacyinstitute.org. That's how you could contact him and connect with him. As always, you can subscribe to find out uh, when part two comes out through our website, www.heartseedhealth.com, or through the iTunes store. I hope you enjoyed this. I thought it was really, really great. And there's more amazing, insightful, heartfelt info in part two, which will be out pretty soon here. Um, As always, we're open to feedback. And we hope you're taking some good little tidbits away from these episodes and uh, cultivating health in your own life. Thanks. Have a good one.